Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional coworkers, and occasional Halo opponents delve into our experiences and careers in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not our employers or anyone else's. And I am the software engineer part of the podcast. My name is Brian. I've been a software engineer for a little over a decade. John, do you want to introduce yourself? And I am John Christensen. I'm the product side of the fence. I've been in project and product delivery for a little over 10 years now, uh, really making a home in product itself and product management over the last five years. Uh, and we're back. We didn't talk about this. Do we want to talk <laughs> no, about why we're back? I think we should. Why I, think, we took, I mean, why we took life's break? been crazy. Yeah. So we were really enjoying this. We were on a roll. We actually, it's kind of fun, even on a small scale, to see a little bit of a growth curve with the podcast. But a la summer comes along and I have hobbies like softball and we lose our nights. We have kids, we have family. And I started my MBA program at the <laughs> University of Florida. So the last three months have just been a little nutty. Yeah. And I, I don't think I have any like major life events to share that, that made it hard for me to schedule. It was just a bunch of stuff at the same time with family traveling and like you said, summer hitting uh, and it just got difficult for a while, but we are back. And we're going to try and do some sense of a season. I don't know exactly how long that'll be, but probably about a month and, you know, four or five episodes or something like that. And this is the first one of that. Give us some structure. Give the audience some structure, knowing that we're going to get five, six episodes in a row. And then we'll kind of just try to continue to going, but maybe we'll be able to have a little bit more planned breaks instead of just dropping off yeah, the radar. More of a sequence. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about what do you want to do next? Uh, which is funny because at least... Um, you know, you can never predict when your career is going to change or, or alter from where you're at. But uh, so inside of that, what are you talking about what you want to do next? What do you enjoy about what you're doing right now? Uh, what skills are you enjoying applying? What do you what's your your favorite part of your current role? Hmm. I think product is such an interesting role. Um, it's a little bit overused, but product sometimes is like the CEO of your own little product. So yes, there's a CEO of the company, but you almost have that CEO mindset of your product because you're involved in marketing, you're involved in development, you're involved in strategy, you're involved in delivery, you're involved in customer service. Like you're involved in every part of your product. Um, so when it comes to what do I enjoy about my job? I do like that aspect of it. I love being a jack of all trades and having a variety of ways to insert problem solving and thinking and teamwork and strategy. Uh, but if I had to narrow it down a little bit more from that, I think I'm growing in a enjoyment of the strategy. So as someone that came out of more delivery focused roles for the most of my career from QA, where you're just trying to get through the QA phase of a project to actual project management to business analyst of here is your thing go define it and and kind of write the requirements or, or flush it out, then go build it, then go test it, then go deliver it, whether through waterfall or agile, that's been my world for uh, most of my career, 12, 13 years now. I think getting ahead of that, of what product has introduced me to, of why do we do what we do and where are we going and why are we going where are we going and more forward thinking of how is this actually affecting the bottom line of our business, those kind of areas are, I think, what are starting to draw more and more of my interest as I get further in my career. Um, I could probably expand on that a little bit more, but that's that's the general. I think the strategy, if we talk about business strategy, that's a place that's growing. How about for you? Well, before before I, I do my long-winded bit, so I have a question for you. Do you like yeah. graphs and metrics? <laughs> I am <laughs> learning to. <laughs> so if you would have asked me that, if you would have asked me that three years ago, okay. I would have said heck no. I would have said heck no. And I would have understand the place. I wouldn't like ignore them. Like I understand the data and the metrics and things of that nature. 
but I was grew up in such a responsibility world of you do your job because it's your responsibility and you do it well because that's what you do. You do things well, period. So mm-hmm. like the definition of doing your job was doing the job requirements. And you were happy if you walked home at the end of the day and you did your job requirements well and above and beyond even. Like you, you're a good individual contributor. That's the definition of um, fulfillment or getting doing what you're supposed to do at your job and, and being good at your job. As I've gotten more into senior roles, as you get more into the why and the how come, I'm having a lot more fun saying, this is how my role is actually driving the business metric. And it doesn't matter if I deliver this thing, if it didn't move these metrics. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if we deliver the project, if the project actually lost us revenue compared to what our feature was before. It doesn't matter if we made this improvement, if it we could have made a different improvement and generated a better bottom line change or top line change. So Again, I think it shifted for me. Before it was the metrics, I understand, but my job was just to do my job. Mm-hmm. Now it's more of I want to see how my job is impacting those those top line and bottom line numbers. Got it. Or okay, people, so or growth or something of that nature, something that you can measure and and see what's the point. Yeah. So I I was expecting the opposite actually, where I see delivery as an easier place to measure impact, where you know you're you're making a project go out the wind or out the door. You're shipping something. You see latency decrease. Those those kinds of numbers that are very tangible. Where I see strategy as much harder to measure in a lot of ways. But it sounds like you've still got the the business metrics to watch a graph of of different projects impacting. I think what's different is delivery. You can say you did delivery well, even if the metrics don't change because you did mm. what you're supposed to. Do. You delivered the project. Like you delivered it well. You. Mm-hmm defined it perfectly. You had minimal change requests. Testing went well and engineering went well. You delivered it. Customer service knew how to support it when it went out the door. Like you delivered the dang thing, but it didn't have the intended impact that you expected it to. That's strategy. Strategy, it doesn't matter if you delivered it well. If your strategy for what you did was wrong, now the metrics matter more. So I feel like if you're just purely focused on delivery, yes, maybe you. it's easier to measure effectiveness, but it's also easy just to hide behind, I did the job. Um, mm-hmm. I think strategy forces you to say, did I do the right job? Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? That's a little off the cuff, but absolutely. I think that's how I'm starting to think about it. Yeah. The pitfall that I have is I am an agile nerd and I get a ton of satisfaction from seeing points move from in progress to done. And so every every team that I've ever been on, my and I am able to suppress it, thankfully. But a lot of the time, the first thing I want to say is, "Guys, let's try agile and, and get too excited about it." <laughs> and that's the pitfall, right? Is that you're you're pretending to measure things, and in reality, you're just making up numbers and then moving them to a column and not understanding the actual business value that they generate. But I don't want to minimize that either, though, because again, that has been my career, and that's some people's careers is process improvement and getting that done well and being effective and efficient in your agile methodology. Like, there's definitely a place for that. I think I'm just getting to a point in my career to where I'm just, I'm an 80-20 guy. As much as I'm a perfectionist, when it comes to like an area of expertise or an area of interest, if I know something 80% and I'm good at it, I don't need to go spend another five years, 10 years, 15 years becoming an 100% um, crazy guru at it. Like I got Mm -hmm. it. I understand it. I kind of feel like I'm getting to that point in my career with delivery to where there's still value there. There's still efficiency there. There's still plenty of room for me to grow here. I'm not like, I'm, I'm not claiming to have mastered this, but it's just like, I've done it. I've done this for 10 years. Like what other ways can I apply what has made me good at delivery, but try to start applying those in a different realm. And I think I define that realm as more 
strategy, revenue management, driving forward. What's the top line number we're trying to change? What's the bottom line? Like directly trying to say, what are we moving to or what are we doing as a company to affect these numbers? Not just here's your project, go deliver it efficiently. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to minimize that. That's just not where my head is at nowadays. Yeah. All right. So so last question, because you've named two things that I, I probably have a lot of bias in the definition of, but you've kind of separated out strategy and revenue. Are, mm-hmm. are you differentiating those two things? Because I, I know they're connected, but do you see them as dramatically different areas to focus on? I think so, because you can have strategies that aren't revolving around revenue. So I think there's a reason why um, management appeals to me, because there can be strategy around growth. And you can tie growth to revenue. You can tie coaching to revenue and being more productive and investing in your resources. And it's much easier to train up than it is to hire out. Like there, there's, there's reasonings behind that. But I don't think you want to necessarily always tie coaching to I'm trying to get more revenue out of my employees. Like mm-hmm. you're trying to you're trying to make life better for your employees. You're trying to coach. You're investing in a person, and the person is the, is the goal. Um, and so I I think strategy is just a way for me to soften revenue. But a lot of times in business, the strategy is generate more revenue or profit would probably be a better better way of saying it. Generate more profit. So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, revenue revenue is less important than profit. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So let's say if we're getting really specific on terms, we're probably like business about profit because then you're talking top line, bottom line, everything in between, you know, are we actually, you know, making money as a business Um, strategy, I think is just a way for me to back that off and say, I could have, I think I could get enjoyment out of something that wasn't necessarily just dependent and focused around business profit making. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. How about you? So I know you've been an engineer, you've been team lead, you've done a little bit of people team management, but you've also loved to just stick in your head in the code at different times. Like, where are you on this on this crazy? What do I love about my job currently scale? Yeah, I so the answer I think I've given before on the podcast is what I love about my current job is that I feel dumb every day. Like I I do not have a day that I do not learn something I love that. new. And I have yet to have a day in the last year and a half ish where I haven't felt stupid or unaware or or like grasped a new concept. And that is, I've learned over the past probably five years, maybe six is one of the most important things for me in terms of job satisfaction is I cannot stand knowing the right answer all the time. Or, and you know, that's a little bit arrogant of me to say, I often don't know the right answer, even in jobs where I've become pretty good at them. But I, I hate knowing the right answer three or four times in a row. If I get three or four questions where I know the answer immediately, I often start looking for another position. And I this probably got some pros and cons for my own career growth where there is some value in being an expert and being a domain expert for longer. But what I love right now is even about a year and a half in, there are there is at least one question that I am completely stumped on and I have to either go read some documentation or talk to an expert or something of that nature every day. And then uh, kind of very related to that, this is the first or really the main time I've done straight R&D, kind of in greenfield development in my career. And I'm finding that I really enjoy entering a super ambiguous space and not having even a sense of the right answer and having to do experiments and iterations to figure it out. And that's way more fun than I ever thought it would be. That's kind of why I was asking about graphs, because for a long time, job satisfaction in my career was, did I, did I move this chart up or down like the the bad line did it go down and the good line did it go up and so i don't have that quite as much right now where the the good and the bad lines are much over over much longer time horizons but i'm finding i enjoy that too it's just the straight r d and operating in a terribly ambiguous space 
R and D, I don't know what your metrics are. I guess I kind of want to ask, but like, you're happy if you hit one out of 10 times, like, you know, yep. if, if you hit your metric 10 out of 10 times, you're, you're kind of not really R and D like you're not yeah. doing anything new or crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's a level of, um, you know, you have an idea and it could be completely wrong. And you yep. do a lot of stuff to try and make sure that it's not completely wrong. You talk to people and you pull experts and you do short experiments that are easy to get out and all those things. But you still have an idea that could be completely wrong. And so, you know, and, and you, then you try and back them up with usage metrics and, you know, you show it to developers. There's all kinds of stuff, but you could still be 100% off the mark and you expect to be a fair amount of the time. And the other thing that I, I like is the frequency that you have to admit that. And you have to say, like, ah, didn't didn't pan out. I'm sorry. This was a terrible idea. We should not have written the proto in this way. We should not have presented this to clients. The API surface shouldn't look like this. Like, this is just bad. <laughs> and so, and then you know, just the humility to say, like, yeah, it's, I I wrote it. So the conversation that I had with my my manager like two weeks ago was, um, there is there is deep there are deep deep complicated race conditions in the connection handling logic because our dependency didn't, we didn't realize these things about our dependency. And the answer from my manager was, didn't you write that? <laughs> yep. hundred percent. It's, it's my code and it's my code that has these deep complicated race conditions, but you know, you just need to be prepared to, to say that a lot and admit when you're wrong. I love it. I, hmm. I'm not surprised. I'll just say that. I think you are an extremely smart person who likes to troubleshoot and is inquisitive. So Applying those skills to greenfield R&D makes a lot of sense. But let me ask this. I feel like a lot of that is also, though, what makes you good outside the R&D area. Like, hey, there's a bug. Why? Or, hey, there's this new project. And even maybe it's even though the project may be well more well known or the code base or the stack may be more you may be more familiar with. There's still a a troubleshooting nature to that and a problem solving nature to that. So I guess my, to come to my question, is it way different? Is it just expanding the skills that you had previously, or is it a completely different approach, a completely different way of working going from kind of more structured projects to greenfield R&D? It is a, at least in the team that I'm on, it is a completely different experience. And okay. it is something that I've had to grow in a lot. So part of the reason why I'm, I, I do well outside of R&D is that I really enjoy reading code I really enjoy debugging. I love digging through logs. I love, you know, that kind of that like sort of detective nature of of uh, troubleshooting and maintaining or like production support, that kind of thing. And the data is not there in the same fashion in R and D, where you you don't necessarily have a log or a latency metric that you can go look at and extrapolate from and kind of research. You have to do a lot more sort of introspection and a lot more interaction with people and a lot more drawing out of those details when you're trying to figure out what should the API surface be for this concept that doesn't really exist yet. And so it's it's an area that I've had to have had to grow in significantly. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from my management chain on ways to do that better. But it's a it's a different skill set. I do we're talking about what we want to do next. A little bit I do miss that of <laughs> just the okay. log diving and the you know the debugging and looking at metrics and state and whatnot. But um yeah it's a it's a different approach at least on the team that I'm on right now. So I'll draw the I'll draw the connection of why I asked that question because I think for me what you said really stuck out is 
I, I don't want to have all the answers or I want to be growing there. Want, I want there to be new things that I have to go learn and figure out that that, that kind of notion that mm-hmm. you gave. Um, I should have wrote down the exact quote, but I, I like that idea. But I think I've tried to solve that by switching fields. So in my career, like I've gone from banking to mm-hmm. healthcare, back to financial and fintech. Now I'm in travel. Like I, I've, I've tried to kind of seek that new area to stretch my muscles through domain changes, through, mm-hmm. through business changes. And I think what I'm coming to find, and I want to say this softly because I, I again, there's, there's a long roadmap for me here. There's a long career path for me if I wanted to continue to stay on a true product management path. But there's part of me that's coming to understand that I think what I'm ready for something different on is a different process and a different way of thinking, which sounds like what you kind of got going to R&D. Because going from banking to healthcare to travel, it's still programmatically and systemically the same process. There's definitely difference in your field, but it's still the idea of getting a concept or a feature or an idea, or even talking to customers. Like even, even the discovery part is really similar. You're asking different questions, but the process is similar. And then you concept it, and then you break it down into stories, and then you work through, um, through, um, through engineering, and then you test it. And you're always combating priorities, and there's this one-off request. It doesn't really feed your overall project. How does it fit with your overall priority? Okay, we're going to pause the project because this is really important. We need to work on it for a sprint. Okay, now put it back on the shelf. Come back to your – like those same conversations – happen from domain to domain to domain to domain. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I'm discovering is I'm that's the repetitive part for me. It's not the I don't know this domain. It's the I'm very comfortable with what I need to do to be able to go solve the problems regardless of the domain in my current role. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the that's the skill that I've traded on for mm-hmm. years, right? Is not traded on, but it's the thing that I've done in my jobs is I can I can look at your production system and I can find the problem. You can tell me something is not working and I'll read code, I'll look at docs, I'll look at metrics, I'll talk to, you know, I'll, I'll do the research and I will repair your production system regardless of what that production system does. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of the same motions where I don't and I I can't think of a good analogy. I was thinking searching for something in exercise, <laughs> you know, there's there's <laughs> nothing like nothing that's coming to mind, but it's the same same skill set that you're applying about a different topic. And I think there is a ton of value in that. And so I, I'm not knocking that at all, but mm-hmm. I agree with you at some point, you know, I can join this team that has a production system. I can look at the bugs in the production system and then I can apply bug fixes for that. Super valuable. Lots of places really will, will pay you a lot of money to do that, but it's the same kind of thinking for every everything that you do. Yep. I think that's what I'm struggling with is I don't want to minimize or take away from the product expertise or domain knowledge and, and how valuable that is. And when I were to go into a new space and when I go into a new space, I need to spend a whole lot of time learning that domain to be able to go do those product exercises correctly. So I don't want to minimize that. But there is no fear for me right now. And maybe that sounds weird that I'm chasing fear. Um, but right now, there is no concern and there's no risk that I could step into a domain, spend three to six months with experts and start running a couple scrum teams, figuring out what we're working on, figure out the scope and start running that efficiently and figuring out how to do that efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that I think I'm like, what's next? Like, mm-hmm. is it a more senior product level? Is it a, you know, is it a pivot? Is it a where we're going in this conversation? 
Yep. Um, yeah. But before we go there, I want to I want to jump on the next piece of this to kind of walk us along this path. Before we get to what you want to do next, what skills do you want to grow next? Where where like whether you're at where you're currently at or whether you're thinking of where you're going, where do you go? This is something I want to get better at. There's such a long list. <laughs> so fair, <laughs> fair, very fair. You would be so. Both. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll start and I'll try to like I'll try to keep it brief. But so there there is a terribly technical thing that I'm not good at, which is writing concurrent programs or concurrent programming. So in my career up until my current job, most of the concurrency has been solved by a web server, where concurrency is you get a thread per request, go ahead and do it. And in my current job, you have to think a lot more about what is going to call this code, where like what process is it coming from? Is it memory safe? Those kinds of things. So I'm very bad at that, is what I've learned <laughs> over the past year. And I really want to get better. And so then there are languages and tools like Rust or um, some other, other languages that do that in a different, better way that I am not good at today. So that's one of the skills that I would love to expand on. Um, their machine learning has always been at the top of my, my head, like big data sets, operating with big data, data pipelines in a more direct way, because I've, I've owned a couple of ETL services over the years, but they've all been um, kind of built and set up ahead of time and then just sort of running on autopilot for the most part with, you know, like tweak this query and merge this column, yep. like, but not, not any, any cognitively new things. And so I've I've always had a desire to work on some kind of big data pipeline and some kind of very large data set just to understand, you know, how do how do these things interact and and what are the scaling problems that you hit. Um, I uh, I also am interested in more technical leadership over a broader spectrum, and that would be flexing more of the like the people skills that I am I've kind of developed, but I'm not really great at and so i would love an opportunity to do that with a smaller group and, and explore some management stuff um there's something else that i'm really really curious about uh but i i think that that covers kind of the domain or like the the broad categories of the the better concurrency and the big data and the you know machine learning possibly and people like those are those are kind of the main areas that are standing out to me that i haven't really dug into yet what about soft skill? Like any kind of soft skill area that like this is definitely somewhere that I want to continue to grow as I get into higher and senior, more senior positions. So or even inside just even the, where you're at. Yeah, inside of inside of the leadership vein, um, I am a I am a slow writer. So I've I've gotten to the point where I'm a competent business writer, and I can you know you you give me a concept, and I can give you back a doc that will articulate it and get it in front of the right audience. But I am so slow at it, and I require so much feedback to tune it to the right audience that I really want to improve that. Um, I am not good at articulating feedback for people and helping other people grow. And so that's something that I really want to get better at, is how do you set up a relationship with someone so that you can offer them constructive criticism and it doesn't come off um, arrogant or presumptuous, but it's, it comes off as a genuine, I am here to help you grow. And here's why I'm I'm the right person to help you grow. But balancing that with not coming across arrogant, um, and I, I'm trying to think of other soft skill stuff. But those are the the first things that comes to mind when you say soft skills. There's, there's those categories. Makes sense. Makes sense. How about you? What do you want to grow next? It probably gets pretty close to kind of what you were saying there at the end. Um, the big giant one that everybody always says they want to get better at is communication. But if I try to zoom in on communication, 
I want to I want to become more succinct in my communication, uh, in when I'm communicating my thoughts and um, findings or opinions or proposals. But I want to get better at not having to state my opinions as much and be able to ask questions that help other people to get there. So not in a conniving, manipulative way, um, but oftentimes it's very easy for me. I have it figured out or I think I know where the conversation is going. So I don't want to go A, B, C, D, E. I want to go A, B, E because I figured out E and and Mm -hmm. I know we're heading to E. So let's just get to E and move on. I want to be able to ask the right questions to help other people get to E with me or to figure out maybe I was wrong about getting to E. Maybe we need to get to F, you know? And, and so I, in both of those, it's asking better questions and and asking questions and scenarios instead of just stating opinions and trusting that other people are going to um, state their opinions as well. Cause I, I, I find that, People don't do that as much as I think they will. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very willing to have an open conversation and, and talk through things and state opinions and have you state counter opinions and work through and get to the conclusion. But a lot of times that's not the way people work and just trusting that I'm going to state something and somebody if, something, if somebody else disagrees, they're going to state an opposing thought and we're going to talk through it. That's a heavy expectation. That's a heavy assumption. But if you pose something of like, how are we going to solve for this? Or my opinion would have been, we need to do this to solve for this because I thought about this and this is a blind spot and this is a curveball. Let's get ahead of it. Let's go do this thing. How could I help somebody else see the curveball and give them the opportunity to say, how would you solve for that curveball? It might be exactly what I was thinking, but instead of me having to say what we should do, you bring them along with you on that journey to, um, to see it for themselves and, and want to take action themselves. So I've seen people do that masterfully. Um, I've had a couple great influencers, not influencers, People in my life that have influenced me as managers and as mentors um, do that very well, do that very, very well. Mm-hmm. And I would like to try to develop that better. But that requires you slowing down and being intentional, which is the same thing that goes into being more direct in your talking, being more succinct. Um, Evie's podcast is a great example. I can usually make a point in two sentences, but I usually take two paragraphs to do it. <laughs> I don't want to not be personable. I don't want to not be me. But how can I be more specific and direct in what I'm talking about. Because I used to always think I was a clear communicator and I realized I'm not as nearly as clear and as, as concise a communicator as I think I am. We get paid by the minute, so drag it out as much as you want to. <laughs> oh, man, right. but I don't... <laughs> if our seven <laughs> listeners don't know, we don't get paid at all. Oh, um, too funny. So, and that's a, a bit of a funny way that I think we've alternated focus areas in our careers because I don't think that I'm a master at asking questions to lead or asking questions to draw out a topic. But I've certainly spent more time practicing that than I have stating my opinion directly. And in my current role, I wind up interacting with some very senior people from neighboring teams who are not at all, like do not need any help staging their opinion and do not need any help, anybody else (laughs) to help draw out their opinions. They are, they're senior and confident enough that they just- You're looking for your opinion. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to learn is- when do I need to state an opinion and take a stand as opposed to drawing questions and asking and just ingesting other people's perspective? And it's it's even in the past couple of weeks, it's even tripped me up a handful of times where somebody in a close team will state a very strong opinion and I'll spend my time trying to understand it, whether rather than evaluating if it's appropriate or applicable in that moment or not. And so it's it's a subtle twist on that skill set, but it is more 
taking a, a step back and, and looking at yourself, looking at the opinion, and then deciding, does, does this land and does this apply? Or am I over-indexing on one very insistent person? I think it's directional, though, too, as well, to, to the kind of the points that you made. When I want to ask questions is when I'm working with peers and when I'm working with um, a team that we're trying to go deliver something or go solve a problem or go work towards a certain goal, um, a desired end. And, and so that's where I don't want to be overly domineering. I don't want to just be a lead from the front, although there's a time and a place from that. I want to be able to bring the team along with. When communicating up, that's the flip side. That's where, um, or out to, uh, to partners or potential clients, like that's where you do need to be able to succinctly but professionally state a thought clearly and let it sit, you, you know, and mm -hmm. let it be able to stand on its own. And so I think it's just, it's, it's somewhat directional. And, and which way you're going. There are times you need to be direct both ways. But I think that asking questions is usually more of a peer thing and being able to state intentionality clearly and ideas clearly usually ends up being when you're communicating out or up. Yep. And that's that fits with my example, right? Where it's not so much that I need to state more of my opinions to my own team. It's more where when I'm, when I'm talking to other very senior members of neighboring or, or adjacent teams that... Uh, that it'd be more appropriate to state opinions louder and a little bit more firmly before kind of acquiescing to where they think that the product should go. Yep. To get more on the technical side or product technical, I think the other place I want to grow in is under, being able to better identify the metrics I should be paying attention to. So once, they once the metrics are identified, I can go build the mm -hmm. dashboard or, or figure out what data I need or go measure what I need to measure. But having better intuition or better questions to ask and skill sets to identify what is the right metric to be paying attention to, um, I think is that area that I feel like other people get faster than me. Sometimes it's just like, once you tell me, it's like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. I can go execute on that. But why is that the metric we're paying attention to? Why is that the thing we're focused on? Why? How did you go from this big generic, I want to grow revenue by $10,000 to I want to grow um, bottom line efficiency of this system by two thousand dollars like how do mm -hmm. you scale that down to apply to what you have scope over so hmm. i think the identification and setting of metrics and kpis is somewhere that i want to get better at do do most of your metrics when you wind up looking at them translate to dollars and cents or are there metrics that are other other units um, there's other units because it depends on the team. Like I have a very operationally focused team that's a lot harder to understand of we're, we're an expense, but we're a needed expense. So then it's more of API uptimes, SLAs, mm -hmm. things of that nature. Did we respond to this uh, high priority item within 48 hours? Mm -hmm. Like there, there's those kind of metrics as well. Um, are we performing this post, th this process um, efficiently enough to where 80% of our clients are getting what they expect within seven days, you know, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. So those, those metrics are definitely out there as well, but where possible to identify how exactly we're driving um, financial impact to the business. I, I want to know that. And maybe that doesn't make it into my quarter de quarterly decks or my weekly KPIs or OKRs or anything like that, but it's definitely something where I want to be able to speak to the value that my teams are providing to the business mm -hmm. from a business perspective. Gotcha. Okay. So, so then when you say metric, we should have had to define your terms up front. <laughs> when you say metric, you don't just mean 
metric generated or data generated automatically by a software system, sometimes you mean statistics about behavior of the team and statistics about the functioning of the team. But it should be measurable. It should be measurable. So usually there's a system or something that can help you know if you're meeting those metrics. So am I meeting my... So I I use metrics, KPIs, OKRs. Like I think there's so many different things out there of... And and if we got really technical, we could have a whole conversation around why they're different. The general idea of there is something that I should measure. I should know where I want to be on that measurement. And I should know where I'm at currently and if I'm tracking to meeting that metric or not. Mm -hmm. So... Again, whether it's a key performance indicator, whether it's a SLA, whether it's a um, a rock, you've heard of them called rocks, like whatever it is, something measurable to know, am I, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing and are we doing it well? I think it's very easy to be lazy with your, with your metrics like that. It's very easy just yeah. to throw out, throw out metrics and say, hey, look, we're measuring because we're supposed to measure and data. We're in a data world. Let's go measure something. And it's just like, but is that really the thing that you should be measuring? And is it really something that your team impacts or not? That's what yeah. I want to get better at. And then in that space, is it usually that you just don't have any information and you say, I need to come up with something from scratch? Or do you find that you're presented information that doesn't answer your questions? Like, how do you know when you don't have the right business metric? Um, in my role currently, I'm the one responsible for setting those. So... Um, I can probably get most of the data I would need if I wanted to answer mm-hmm. any type of question that I'd want to be measuring in that way. But what should I be measuring? That's the mm-hmm. thing. And so for me, I just feel like there are people that are very skillful at that to where it's just like, well, this is what your team does. So obviously this is what you want to be measuring because if mm-hmm. you're not doing this then your team's not performing and performing the role that they should be. And I'm just sitting there going, I know my team does this, but how do I measure if this is what it's supposed to be doing well? So it's, again, there's very simple answers. You can sit down and say, okay, you manage a team that is responsible for integration. So obviously integration uptime is a key metric for you, a key KPI, like are your systems up? Like that's not the level of kind of KPIs I'm talking about. Like, those those very much speak for themselves and are mm-hmm. metrics we should be caring about. But um, I think there are more intuitive ones of how to drive improvement. Less, there are less intuitive ones that speak more to the core of where your team can improve or what you can be focusing on. I wish I could come up with a really good example, but so I I guess one example that I came up with that I could give is we have a system on my team that kind of like I refer to either it's, is the customer getting the value that they think they were getting in the timeframe that they think they were getting it for? So it's really easy to like, it's a service. So you could turn that into an SLA. Is the service up or down? Like that'd be the easy reaching one. But the better metric would be, or the better KPI is do 90% of my customers get what they thought they were going to get within three days. Mm-hmm. That means that 90% of my customers are happy. Um, now, my SLA may be great, but I might be missing that 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 customer satisfying, that customer-focused metric of mm-hmm. are we satisfying the customers the way that they're anticipating being satisfied or are we not 90% of the time? Yep. You know, And so if I'm, that's very different than just a simple uptime, downtime SLA on a service. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the kind of the the intuition I want to build or the skill set I want to build to be able to better identify of how do I actually tie the services my teams are providing to the value that we can measure back to a user of the business. Maybe that's the best mm-hmm. way I've tried to describe it so far. So when you say it that way, my current skip level manager, in my experience, is somebody who is very good at that. And when I was doing team match calls, 
the I asked you what does success look like for your team and how do you measure it? And he had the best answer for that that I've ever heard. So he we're an SDK team and we build a set of tools. And he said, success for us is uh, measured by the number of integrated apps, uh, the number of users using this daily, and the number of deprecated competing standards. And and that's and he so what he said was, you know, our team is here to understand and expand on prior art and build a unified way to do this. It doesn't mean that our standard has to win. Our standard could be one of the ones that's deprecated, but part of our success is the number of standards that are competing to solve the same problem that get deprecated over the course of time. And uh, it just, it made so much sense. And it's, for me, it was one of those things that once you say it, it's very obvious, <laughs> but yes. until somebody points that out and says, this is how you can tell if you're doing it or not, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to grasp. And you would say your team's goal is to build apps. Like, hey, how many 100%. apps? Did we, how many apps did we build this year? Hey, we built five new apps, and we have five hundred users. Okay, but do those five hundred users also have to use three other apps to do something similar <laughs> across board? Like, like that's that's exactly it. You gave a better example of what I want to try to grow in, and it explains why I want to try to grow in that area because I feel like it's such a hard thing to do. It's <laughs> it's very easy to come up with quick metrics. You're just like, oh, come on, just just come up with like, what does your team do? Oh, your APIs, it's, it's solid. <laughs> like. But to be insightful about what is the value that your team is providing to users or business or whatever your stakeholders are, and how do you measure that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you understand that? And I think that, hang on one second. Still fighting a cold, sorry. I think that also goes back to kind of where I talked about of what do I enjoy about what I'm doing now is I like the times where we can be that strategic and we can tie to the end user like how are we going to change the end user's life how mm -hmm. are we going to help our stakeholders how are we going to take our product in the direction that solves these fill in the blank problems like that's the fun part about product that i enjoy so much but once you get into okay now i'll go build it that's the part where i'm like is that just a necessary evil or is there other places out there that could fulfill could scratch that strategy itch without continuing to dive into the delivery side of things as deeply as I am today. You can never get away from delivery completely. And I don't think you yeah. would want to, but yeah. Uh, I think those going, two things are tied together. I think they're tied they together. Are. So going back to what I said about I, what I enjoy about my current job and feeling dumb a lot, that skip level is one of the people who, and in the nicest, friendliest, most constructive way you can imagine, makes me feel dumb all the time. <laughs> Where I have conversations oh, and think, I should have realized that. I didn't. <laughs> Let me go find out. <laughs> But I think that's what I'm struggling with, and I don't want to run from it. So when I talk about next, like I don't want to go to something different just because I feel dumb in my current role. Um, but man, when you work with somebody like that, that you're just like, you are a guru. Like you got this, and uh, you don't want to take any work away from them because they put in a ton of time to get to that level. But there are some people that are just gifted in these areas, mm -hmm. and you're just like, man, I, I see game. I can't replicate your game, but I see it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm good enough to recognize it. I am not good enough to do it. Um, to this point, to, at this point yet. So. Yep. Oh yeah. And, and like, I'm very frank with him about when I feel dumb in conversations or not dumb, but yeah, when but I, when I'm clearly like, out of my depth. Oh man. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he, I'm sure he's well aware because I have to say, I didn't think of that. Let me go find out at least once a week. <laughs> and that's, that's a good experience, right? <laughs> that means I'm, I'm gaining and I'm learning and there's, there's new stuff that I'm figuring out. Yeah. And they give, and if you have the right guy that's willing to give you the space, it's not like, yeah, you are dumb. It's just like, yep, I didn't think about that 15 years ago either, you know. <laughs> and, and he gives you the space to go learn, and like he yep. sees it as coaching. Like that's that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, and it, to 
give a little more perspective there because the odds of him listening to this are nearly zero. But uh, the the answer, the response from him is never, you idiot, you didn't think of that. The yep. wrong answer is dissembling or hiding or throwing up smoke. The yep. right answer is acknowledging the problem and saying, I'll go find out. And anytime you say that, he's he is completely satisfied in the discussion. And that's key, yep. right? Is there's no, I'm going to hold you to this and you have to know the answer in the moment. But there is a need to see the problem and then an acknowledgement that you're going to go find the answer. Yep. Yep. And the follow through to go find the answer too. Once you yep. build the trust that you are going to go fill it, figure it out. Yep. So. I also say the words, I'll put that on my to-do list <laughs> roughly, <laughs> roughly once a week. Yep. All right. So guess, with all that, go yeah. ahead. No, no, no. We can move on. What do you want to do next? <laughs> so I am curious and scared if we're talking about chasing fear, you know, to put some fear back in my, 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 my day-to-day career. Um, I am curious if there is an opportunity to be more strategy and revenue focused if I flip over to more of a sales engineering or sales type role. Um, I've always been a little bit scared of sales. Um, there's always a stereotypes that get applied to sales. Um, I wouldn't want to necessarily be in consumer sales probably, but business to business sales where you are expected to have industry and product knowledge um, to then go out and try to deliver value for another business and, and explain that value and sell that value. I think there's some excitement to that to me because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it directly impacts revenue. It directly impacts strategy. It puts you in the place where you have to understand where what your competi- what your competitors are doing and what the market is doing, and if you are in the right area or if your product is in the doing the right things. Um, and that's why I would kind of say more sales engineer because I don't know if I want to be full sales, but being able to have that sales facing piece of it, but then have the engineer and the internal facing piece of it to be able to kind of bring that knowledge back internally to the product teams to the engineering teams or to the partnership teams kind of being in that space, I think could be really interesting. It could be a complete bomb. It, it, it could be something that I find out, Oh, nope, this is way too on the sales side of things. And I, I don't want to necessarily grow that strongly in, in sales chops, but I do think there's a lot to be gained from understanding a sales space. As you try to move up in an org, as you get a little closer to, why are we signing this partner and why are we signing a contract with these um, financial terms and how does this impact our business and why are we willing to sign this deal for this partner, but we're not willing to sign this deal for this partner. I I think it gets you closer to the business decisioning and the business strategy um, of your company. And so I think I see sales or sales engineer as a way to get closer to business decisioning and to learn more about business decisioning. So that is a, a huge surprise to me as someone who has always stayed very far away from sales. So I, I really don't know, does sales have a ton of input into product strategy and direction? Or is sales more receiving the output of those decisions? Or maybe it depends on the company. I think in a healthy org, it goes both ways. Um, And that's why the sales engineering role is specifically the one I drill into because sales engineering role as I'm learning about it, and there are those are in the sales engineer role um, that may wear slightly different hats, but as I understand it, um, sales engineers are oftentimes brought in once there's actual sales opportunities. So you have 
um, leads, you have initial conversations, you, 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 you know the basics of your product, you're out there trying to solicit interest or, or apply interest to your product. Once someone gets super serious, and we're talking about like, what does your product actually do and look like for my company? A lot of times that's where a sales engineer can step in. And it's kind of that subject matter expert, that SME level sales role of this is what our product does. And let me show you how that fits within your application specifically that you're trying to solve. It's kind of that connection of our product to your your need for our product, um, mm-hmm. which is never universal. It's never the same. Everybody, every customer is going to come to your product and expect something a little bit different or try to solve something a little bit differently. Um, and so from a sales engineering perspective, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out how to connect the dots between your product and a customer. Product is out there. They're not thinking about individual clients. They're thinking about in general, where's the market going in general, what would benefit all of our users in general, what do we need to build next feature to stay competitive with other other people in the market, other companies in the market, other products in the market, or what are our users expecting just based on general user acceptance of the, of of how things work today? Um, marrying those two are two is is the role that I think I would enjoy. You don't necessarily want to put a product person always on the line with a client who's not yet or a potential client. Because that product person in there is already like, dude, my backlog's full for the next nine months. I know what I want to build. I have all the reasons and rhyme for building what I want to build. Like, don't come in and interrupt me telling you you want my product to do this XYZ thing because I'm going to go build this thing because I know it impacts these many people because I'm a product expert and I know what my market needs. Mm-hmm. That's not who you necessarily want to put on a call with a client who's trying to understand how their product is going to fit. Your product is going to fit into their space. But neither do you want a salesperson on the line who's not a full SME, who doesn't understand the technology, and is just going to promise anything under the sun because they want to sign the client and make the client happy. <laughs> if you can be the sales engineer between that and go, hey, this is a checkbox versus a radio button, and it's going to take my engineer two weeks. Now, we may not be willing to do that for you, but I know that's not a big change. Right? It may be a day. Let's not even use it two weeks. It's, it's a quick change. Or, hey, we want to have a wallet solution, and right now you guys operate as the, the system of record but we want to operate as a system record. Oh, you just completely changed our business model. Like that's not even on the table. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's yeah. two years of development work to completely change your business. Having someone that could enter into that space and go, we can't do the wallet, but here's what we can do. And hey, product, we're getting asked for this every other week. Can we go build this thing mm-hmm. internally? So that's yeah. a long-winded answer because I'm super excited about the space as I'm exploring it more. Um, but that's that's my understanding of where a sales engineer can really come into effect. It's both outward facing and directly client facing and gets to be involved in that sales process. But you should be very you should have a very healthy relationship with your product teams because you are talking to clients and you are probably doing competitive analysis more than the product team is or to the same degree as the product team is. And you can provide feedback back to that team. And you want the product team to trust you that you can front for them because, you know, there's always already a natural tension between sales and product. But if product can trust a sales engineer and sales can trust a sales engineer and the sales engineer can kind of be that liaison between the two, mm-hmm. that's a super exciting space to be in for me. And again, to the earlier point, I think it gets me closer to, it would get me closer to the business decisioning. Again, who are our clients? Why do we sell to them? What, what profits do we generate by uh, structuring our contract this way versus this way? And it gets me closer to not just Hey, we're making this product that meets a that meets a user need, and we hope to have this kind of ROI. But it just gets you a little bit further up the chain of 
what are we, where direction are we actually going as a company and why? Mm-hmm. In my in my mind, in my idealistic mind right now, as I try to move into that space. Yeah, and it sounds like it checks all the boxes of of soft skill, business strategy, exploring metrics, and knowing how to give feedback on the anecdotes aren't matching the data. What are we missing in the data? Those yep. those kinds of of interactions, and then the communication skill. So it, it yep. sounds like that would check a lot of the boxes of what you're interested in developing. Yep. But it's a liaison role. So put you right back in the middle of two teams and it's, it could be interesting <laughs> that way. Um, and it expects a lot of product knowledge and industry and um, industry knowledge. So it's, it's scary because it's a pivot from what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. It almost completely drops the software development side of things, which has been my world for the last, my entire career, you know, 13, 14 yep. years now. Um, so it's scary. It's scary. And again, is it what I think it is? You know, is it going to be the role that I think it's going to be as I'm trying to look at this, this, um, this potential change? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think there's pieces of it that scratch new territory or at least expose me to new territory that I've just been around the fringes of, as well as leans on strengths that I already have and that I've already demonstrated. So it could be, it could be yeah. interesting. Uh, can How I tell a quick story? Oh. Yeah, I, yeah. So I'll answer that, but can I tell a quick story first? Um, so I have a, a young kid who is aware that I'm an engineer and then I talk about being friends with John and she asks what you do for a living. And I tell her he's a, a product owner, product manager. I can never remember which one. I'm product so manager. sorry. What's product okay, owner? Product manager. Product yeah. manager. <laughs> Thank yep. you for not being offended. Um, and so I tell her she, he does a lot of different things. He can solve some problems. He can talk to people. He can do some technical. And so in her mind, as a jack of all trades, you can do anything. And her next question was, are you an astronaut? <laughs> I said, well, no, <laughs> he's, oh, he can do a lot it. of things, but I he's not it. an astronaut. But it would crack me up if I could tell her that we're engineers at the same time. So That's too funny. Yeah, be a yeah. sales engineer. But it's still, stra- <laughs> like, at the underneath everything, if you ask me who I am, I'm a jack of all trades. And currently, I'm applying being a jack of all trades to products. And yeah. I've enjoyed it. And I still think there could be a hitch. Like, I could go try this thing and go, nope, get me back to the product. I'll go grow those skills. I wasn't sure if I wanted to double down on. Like, the big question I'm trying to answer right now is, I'm bored. Does I'm bored mean I need to double down where I'm at, recommit, and try to work for management where I'm at or getting a different spin on where I'm doing? Am I just bored? And because I'm bored, I'm being a little passive where I'm at. That's a very real accusation that could be true. Or have I ran its course? Have I done the 80-20? Have I, have I got to the point where I'm happy with what I've done in a specifically product-geared space, and I'm ready just to try to see if I can't stretch those jack-of-all-trade abilities in a new area? Yep. And I think I'm 50-50. Like, I, I could have an honest accusation right now of, dude, you're coasting. And if you're only giving me 80%, why don't you just double down and give me the rest of it and, and really just become a stellar, out-of-the-park product manager become a senior product manager, go manage a team of product, give yourself another five years in this space and just nail it and be like, yeah, you're right. I probably could do that. And there's part of me that probably is coasting right now that I shouldn't be. Um, but it's also like, am I just ready for something different? So mm-hmm. that's the question I'm trying to answer right now. How about you? What, where are you? Where are your eyes? So there's, there's probably a very natural transition for me because for the last year and a half, I've been a very deep dive, mainly IC role. And occasionally I've stepped in to like help lead some other engineers that are a little bit more junior, but my manager is deeply involved in our current project and needs to abstract up because mm-hmm. it's roughly half the team that's on the project that I'm working on. And then there's the other half of the team that also reports to her. And so um, 
she needs to be able to abstract away from what we're doing. So there's a pretty natural transition of me starting to lead those people in a more tech lead kind of role. Um, I don't know if I would ever actually have the tech lead title, but at least provided guidance and, and you know helping to kind of form the direction that we're going to go in. So that's probably what I'm going to do next, assuming that that lines up. But I don't know if it's what I want to do next because I've never been forced to decide if I want to be a manager or a very like high level individual contributor. I've been asking you that question for 10 years, man. <laughs> and I still don't know the answer. Um, so I, I suspect that that will happen for a while and I'll flex some of the more soft skill people management type things. But I, and, and I don't have a timeline on when I would want to change teams or domains. Like I'm, I'm very, and I don't want to use the word entertain, but I'm very interested in what I'm doing right now. And that's key for me. I don't see a horizon on getting bored at this point in my current role. So it could be like a very long time away, but I suspect at some point I will want to jump into the machine learning space in some more hands-on capacity. And if, if I've transitioned to like manager or like being a, a tech manager or something at that point, then maybe being a tech manager of a machine learning team. And if I'm still an IC, then maybe trying to beef up some of those machine learning kind of AI oriented skills. But um, there's there's a part of me that is still a deep skeptic about AI and believes that it's probably overblown or, or suspects that there are aspects of it that are overblown. And so I want to understand it at a deeper level to understand, to, to see, like, am I missing it? Is this my dinosaur moment where I kind of become old and outdated and I just don't ever grow beyond that? Or is there, is there some level of this that's being oversold and, and there's less that it can do when, you, when kind of the rubber meets the road situation? funny angle on that is I'm having the same question, but from a user perspective, like you're trying to understand the guts of AI and how does it work? And like, I have a, like you like, I have this rudimentary and not even rudimentary. You have a deep understanding compared to most people of how AI works, but there's enough people out there that you're like, wait a minute, am I missing the boat? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff about this. Am I missing something? And you want to go figure it out for me. I'm just like, there are plenty of 60 year olds out there that don't know how to use Google appropriately. Like, I don't want to be the 60 year old that doesn't know how to use AI because oh, yeah, it was just that crazy new thing that all those kids are using. Like, I'm 33 years old for Pete's sake. I can't be letting technology pass me by already. So I was I was definitely there even a couple months ago, like when um, OpenAI first came out and you can start interfacing with it. I'm like, dude, just give me Google. I can write my own content. I can sum up my own notes. I can get my own yep. ge idea generation. Um, and then I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't uh -huh. want to be that guy that doesn't know how to use AI. So I finally just got an account and, um, hey, restructure this sentence. Like just dumb little stuff mm -hmm. just to force me to try to start interfacing with it and mm -hmm. using it in a constructive way so that it didn't pass me by. I feel like you're doing yep. that on a way more technical detail level, but that's it's just kind of funny that there's a similar sentiment yep. there around AI. Of learning and, and trying to grasp it, yeah. And it, there's also a very practical aspect of in, in, during throughout my career, I've always made sure to have a variety of skill sets that I could fall back on if the current thing that I'm doing goes through like a cold zone, right? So I've got some security background, I've got some software engineering, I've got some DevOps, I've got some cloud. Like I've, I have a long list of domains that I've been in contact with enough to say I can be helpful to you in this space. Please pay me so I can make my mortgage. Um, <laughs> and so and AI to me is another another category that I want to check the box on to say. If you if there is a, a period of time where software engineers are less interesting, but machine learning engineers are very interesting, I'd like to have at least said I've touched this in a relevant way and I can be helpful. 
yep. Not only can I speak to it and do I know the buzzwords, but I actually know how to. In the same way that you can walk into an operation system and understand the way an operation systems work, do I at least yep. understand enough about the structure of an AI system that I can jump in and start dissecting it, understanding what the repos yep. are, what the code is, and where things live? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, the whole manager versus IC. I feel like I've been asking this long enough and I was always like, dude, you are a brilliant engineer that has way above average communication skills and soft skills for an engineer. You should go manager. I feel like I've been saying that for a long time, but I think the further we get in, the more I realize just how much space you have as an IC with those same soft skills and those same abilities. So that leads to the question. Is management just the expectation and that's the only reason why it sticks around and people keep asking about it and that's why you kind of just always entertain the question? Or are you pretty firmly like, dude, I like being an IC? Like, have you, have you kind of, have you just been denying the final answer to that question or do you still feel like it's a 50-50 toss-up? I, it's, it's going to sound like a cop-out, but I really do feel like it is a 50-50. So... And I, the, the bit that I say is I, I work on a team that I could manage and then I think I, I could manage this team. And then I interact with somebody who's rude or difficult and I think I don't want to manage that person. Um, but I, so it's, it's always a, a shock to me when I flip between them. And I think it's visible to the people that I work with where when I have to go from straight IC very deep in the code back to leading and, and vice versa that I spin for a little bit. But then once I get going, once I gain my momentum and I'm I'm writing well and I've got my my cadence going, I really enjoy the management side. And I, I really do enjoy that aspect of of planning and, and I've never been a, a manager on paper, but I've led a handful of teams. Yep, I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I I really do enjoy that. And I like guiding and mentoring and watching people go from good to great and on past. Um, and I, I work with a couple right now that I could easily see be like surpassing me in terms of, of skill sets and, and technical ability and social skills. So I really do like that. But then there is also a part of me that loves ignoring everyone for a couple of days and just writing a lot of Kotlin or writing a lot of Java. <laughs> and like this week, I had a couple of days where I was mostly doing leadership oriented stuff. I had a lot of meetings about the first phase of beta testing and the first, you know, how we're going to present this and what's the marketing going to look like. I, I was in that space for a, a couple of days straight. And then I had a bug come to me that nobody else had time to take. So I grabbed it. And then when I opened the class, it had 60% unit test coverage. And I oh. said to myself, three hours are gone. I'm going to make this number higher. <laughs> I don't nothing. I'm going to ignore my chats. Oh, I'm not going to answer an email. I am not going to take a call. This number is going to be 95 by the time I sign off today. Oh, and it was. That's when a product manager dies it. inside. <laughs> that's when a product manager is like, I understand. I know. Like yep. we have SL, we have goals of like 90% coverage, but yep. <laughs> dude, it goes another sprint. <laughs> uh, I, I so in in my defense, <laughs> this class. Uh, you, yeah, I don't, I don't need to defend it too much, but this class was very foundational, yeah, very poorly understood. It needed the coverage. I was the right person to do it. It didn't take me that much time, is what I'm going to argue. But I just, I got a lot of satisfaction from oh, rerunning man. the coverage and seeing 95 instead of 60. Um, and I just don't know if I ever want to give that up for good, you know? Like, I don't yep. know if I want to say, 
I am never going to add 30% unit test coverage to another class again. I'm going to talk to people and write docs and, and do the yep. more hands-on manager, managerial things. But I just don't know if I ever want to give up that. I'm going to improve this test coverage aspect. Yeah, this probably gets off on a longer tangent than tonight, but it's just that team lead role. It, it could just be perfect for you. The problem is team lead role is oftentimes looked at as like a stepping stone. But could you just rock the team lead role while continuing to grow in the IC role um, and not just like see that as a cap out? Like, could that just be your career path? You know, I don't know. It's just it's it can. So at the at the scale company I'm in, that actually is an option. Okay. And it's it's like a defined track. To be the, the mentor, to be the helper, yep. you know, but you're still going to dive in and be code. But the know? catch is it gets exponentially harder to get promoted because yeah. you have to demonstrate ever increasing technical impact with still being one person with your hands on the keyboard. And yeah. it is possible. You can write ever increasingly complex stuff. I know people who are doing it and are great at it, um, but it is much easier to get promoted and keep climbing and getting more influence and getting if more you scope. Pick a side. Yeah. If you pick a and side. And so I yeah. And I I don't think that I want to do that. Like the the people who are a level up from me often have PhDs. Um yeah. like on the on the straight technical track or two levels up maybe often have PhDs and are are that person where you have a cryptography question and you have it's it may not be possible and they go off and a couple of weeks later they come back with a solution. Um, and I just don't know if I want to do quite that level of, that level. of individual contributor. So uh, yours is really just like, are you going to get to a point where you are, I want to say capped, but just the role is what the role is and you could continue to do laterals yeah. and learn other things, but, and that's not bad. That's not to say bad, but it's just like, is that what you want? Yeah. Have you, have you gotten to the spot where you're really happy in what you're doing and you just keep context switching or like domain switching? Um, or do you pick? Pick a side and, and go deeper one way or the other. Yeah. That's tough, I, man. How, yeah. So, so far, how I've decided is, am I bored yet? Nope. And so, like, a handful of the very technical people who have gone management that I've talked to have said, I eventually got bored and I wanted a new category of challenge. Yep. And I I think I'll get there. At some I point, think I think I will. And I'll say, like, I've I figured out how to do these things. And now I need to try a completely new thing and, and try to work at it for a while yeah but. and maybe and maybe that's the thing like we're, we're we're trying to answer the question and there's no reason to answer the question like there's no reason to put a like a decision on it. and i wasn't trying to back you into one i guess i see i'm the one that put this there. Not at all. so apologies <laughs> for that but it's like you you are very good at what you do and you are in a fairly mid senior level role a senior level role like you without being in management or, or anything crazy like that but you're still pretty newly there and so there's still a lot of room for you to grow here. So if you clearly know, like, I don't want to be the PhD guy, like I'm not going that deep, but you're like, I'm not even close to that right now. And so there's plenty of room for you to grow in between before getting to that point. Maybe once you do get to that point, it will become clearer that, Hey, I continue to like what I'm doing or I am ready for that different challenge. I think that's a fair point. Yep. I think that's a really fair point. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. So that's my next, I could be five, could be 10 years out. Um, but I think I'll, I think I have at least two to three new technical domain hops before I would say I have to go management or I'll get bored again. So yeah, I, I, I may choose to do it earlier, but yep. yeah, I think I've got a handful of options at this point. Yep. No, makes, makes total sense. I think I just have a slightly different way to where I wouldn't say there's not people that are just professional product manager for the entire career, but I would say usually it goes from a product management to if to senior to 
you know, to more senior product management levels. But at some point, if you're someone that's trying to continue to grow, you just know you're going management. Like at some mm-hmm. point, it's 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 going management. Um, and there's people that say, nope, I'm just good being a product manager. But there isn't this continual IC level upping that it feels like sometimes mm-hmm. you can do on the technical side. And I don't think I realized how deep the IC role roadmap could go on the technical side because on my side, there's a very clear transition from you are about as high as you can go unless you become a contractor and you be very mm-hmm. specialized and go in, you know, contractor stuff out to companies and things like that. Like there's a very clear switch from IC to mm-hmm. management. So, and that, that doesn't exist, exist in the same way. It seems like on the tech side, it does depend on the size of the company because yeah. other roles I've had or other companies I've been at, I would have, you know, you've got engineers and then senior engineers and then managers and principal or, manager, yep. yeah, or maybe yeah. a principal or an architect, yep. and, but very few of those where, at the size company I've been at for the last three or four years, there's engineer, senior staff, senior staff, principal, distinct. Like there's a very tall ladder. Um, yep. And like I said, it gets exponentially harder to jump those rungs as you go, but there's less chance of capping out early. That makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Anything awesome. else you want to hit on? No, it's been an enjoyable one. I like it. What are we doing now? What do you like about it? What are you trying to grow? And, and where do you hope that's taking you on? Like I said, yep. I'm... I'm approaching maybe trying something different. So, and you seem like you're just diving into what you're doing now. So that's awesome. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. This has been learnings from the middle. Thanks for listening.